welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. Here we are in Tampa Bay following the 6-2 avalanche loss. First loss we've seen in a while from Colorado. Um, but May Arif, 29th was the last one. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And uh, I guess breathing some life in the Tampa Bay Lightning, I know... Uh, this was a pivotal game, and had the Avalanche been able to steal it, the, the series would be all but over. Um, I mean, it would be basically over, but now it's all but over, and Tampa Bay has a little bit of hope. But let's get into that game three, break it down a little bit more thoroughly here, Arif. I think um, it was fascinating to see the Avalanche not only get on the scoreboard first, but get on the scoreboard first twice and <laughs> still, I guess, slip up and, and lose the lead early. Yeah, that was a little bit strange because after Nichushkin's goal was called off, which which was the right call, you know, if you look at the replays, but uh, uh, a little strange with the amount of time that they had to challenge the play. Uh, but that's for a different story. That's for a different time. That that whole conversation. But after the Nichushkin goal was waved off, it looked like Tampa Bay was coming on and might get the first goal. I think the Avalanche even took a penalty and had to kill off a penalty. And then, lo and behold, they get a power play of their own. It turns into a four-on-four, and then it turns into a power play for the Avs. And Landis Gog buries one, and I'm like, this this team just can't. Like, they can't stop. And uh, suddenly it's 1-1. Suddenly it's 2-1 Tampa Bay. Suddenly it's 3-1 Tampa Bay. And then Landis Gog gets another one, and then it gets away from them. It just kind of seemed like, in the beginning, they had whatever it was. They had it, and then it got away from them. I mean, we've heard so many times out of Jared Bednar how he doesn't like the starts, right? But then yeah. later on in the game, the Avalanche get comfortable. They start figuring it out and playing the right way. But tonight, we rarely hear the opposite. And tonight, yeah. that was the case. The Avalanche had a, a really good first period. You even heard from Steven Stamkos after the game how he didn't think that Tampa Bay really started on the right foot. But they figured it out. They made their adjustments and got more comfortable in the game. And uh, we're just able to persevere. I, I guess it's not surprising to see. I think what was surprising was the manner in which the avalanche lost it right because that felt more like an avalanche loss to me because they had control early on and then tampa bay took it over more than it feels like a tampa bay taking over and winning yeah and, and i don't want this to sound homerish but the way that game two unfolded seemed like the avalanche overwhelmed the lightning not that the lightning were making mistakes you know that were let's call them like glaring mistakes that they didn't need to make is what was happening to the avalanche today the Lightning the other night were overwhelmed. The Avalanche were overpowering them. I didn't feel that today in, in, from the Lightning side. I didn't feel like Tampa Bay was dominating the game. I didn't feel like they were overpowering the Avalanche. Uh, were they overpowering the Avalanche in terms of being the better team and getting the better opportunities? Yeah, but they weren't dominating the game. It felt like a game of self-inflicted wounds by the Avalanche, which Jared spoke about. He went into detail. We had a turnover. Their F3 was you know all alone in the slot, which is the Stamco's goal. Uh, just a lot of strange things, and then, you know, when, you know, bad goes to worse, Nico Sturm takes a delay of game penalty, shooting the puck directly over the glass, just a poor penalty, and the Avalanche had killed off every single penalty to that point in the Stanley Cup final, and then they score on that one because of course. So it just seemed like a lot of self-inflicted wounds, and it didn't really seem like the Lightning won more than the Avalanche lost it. And I think out of character for Colorado was the defensive group, right? I mean, we've talked so many times about how pivotal they are and how much they contribute from an offensive standpoint, but tonight they were bad defensively. I mean, you saw the Devon Taves turnover that led to a goal. Josh Manson turnover led to a goal. I would say some poor zone coverage uh, from Eric Johnson that led to the Pat Maroon goal. So, um, you know, as much as people want to throw stones at Darcy Kemper, which we'll get into in a second, 
having guys like McCarr and Taves each be minus three and just ha- watching your defense not being able to take care of the defensive role in this game when they've been so comfortable doing it in games past. It's just um, a, a bit of a head-scratcher, but also something you can rely on probably getting better for game four. Yeah, and that's kind of the question I asked Jared after the game was trying to basically say, like, is it better knowing that you can go into this looking at the video and saying we made A, B, C, D, E, F, G mistakes. And if we fix those mistakes, we'll probably come out on top in game four or, you know, have a chance, not lose by four goals. Um, it wasn't as bad as the Lightning, who who give credit to Tampa Bay, by the way. Like, let's, let's not sit here and act like the Avalanche are playing a lesser opponent, like, you know, no disrespect. But Tampa Bay has been the past two years with, Tamp- with Montreal and Dallas. Um, the Avalanche are playing the two-time defending cup champs. This is no cakewalk. What the Avs did in Game 1 and 2, like, we have to truly sit back and appreciate what they've done. And if they win this series, what they could do. But the Tampa Lightning deserve a ton of credit for being able to come out of Game 2. And kind of like we've been talking for the last couple of days of, like, the Avalanche just completely overwhelmed them. They have no idea what the hell they're doing. And were able to make the adjustments to win. Well, the Avalanche aren't in that situation. They are in a situation where they can look at it and say, we've made mistakes that we can fix. And if we fix those mistakes, we'll be back to the Avalanche that we have been all season, a team that doesn't lose. Coming into this series, we knew how Tampa Bay is just great at capitalizing on mistakes, right? And that's exactly what we saw tonight. I mean, every single mistake the Avalanche made, Tampa Bay was able to capitalize on. And that's something we hadn't seen in, in the previous two games. So, yeah, I think it was a, a credit to Tampa Bay for, I guess, figuring some stuff out, right? They talked to, um, they talked a lot about tonight about their quote-unquote recipe to win. I heard that out of a couple guys' mouths, and um, apparently they were able to stick to it, right? They, they had a ton of block shots. I think it was 27 block shots, which just shows the commitment to their defensive structure there. And, uh, yeah, I think they just they, they executed right while Colorado was playing out of character. Exactly, and that's what it takes. It takes it took it took two things to happen for Tampa Bay to win six to two. It took them to play their game, and it took the Avalanche to make a number of mistakes. So that's kind of the point that I was trying to get across earlier. Is in game two, it didn't feel like both of those things happened. It just felt like the Avalanche played their game. Well, remember game two when we were doing our post game podcast, and we looked at both Stamkos and Kucherov, and what was it? They were both in the minus categories, and I think they combined for one shot on goal in game two. Yeah. Tonight they combined for eleven shots on goal, and they had between them a goal and three assists. So obviously, keeping those guys at bay was a a, a major key to the game, and the Avalanche were just unable to do that. And Stamkos also won 23 of 31 faceoffs. That is a massive fucking 74 percentage on 31 draws is incredible. And you kind of felt it because you did feel like the Avalanche were on their heels most of the time and chasing the puck most of the times. Uh, Belmar was 8-2. and two. He won 8 of 10. Uh, who is it here? Anthony Sorelli only won 4 of 14. But the Lightning just had – they had the puck a lot longer even though the Avalanche – it's kind of a weird game because when you look at the numbers – the Avalanche had more shots on goal. They had more shot attempts. They had 27 shots that were blocked. So in terms of the numbers, the Avalanche really didn't have a bad game. But by the eye test, it felt like they were the ones on their heels. It felt like they were the one that were always chasing, which they were because they were down most of the game. But, um, you know, big bounce back by Stamkos and Kucherov. And 
Nathan McKinnon commented after the game about how he's going to need to bounce back, and, and you know, you're going to need to see that from the Avs. McKinnon, Ranton, and Makar, even though Makar and, and Ranton each had two assists, and Lance Gog had two goals, now you're going to need the Avalanche stars, and most importantly, number 29, to do what Stamkos and Kucherov did today. Right. I mean, you look up and down the, the score sheet, and for Tampa Bay, it's all the big names with points tonight, right? I mean, I know Hedman had two assists. Uh, like I said, Kucherov and Stamkos had a handful. Palat had Pala a goal had assist. Two. Yep. Um, Bogosian, right? I mean, these are the names you expected to come in here and make an impact, and that's exactly what they did. Meanwhile, the Avalanche were, I guess, uh, just a little shorthanded, right? I mean, we can't forget about Burovkovsky's absence tonight. Um, Kadri, we're still waiting on Kadri to get back in the lineup. So uh, I don't want to cut excuses here for Colorado, but they're, they're missing some key players despite, you know, Andre Burakovsky's up and down play as of late. I think the biggest loss with the Andre Burakovsky, the, the biggest issue with the Andre Burakovsky loss is he's a finisher. Now you're stuck, and Kadri's a finisher too, so now you have the second line of Lekkinen playing with, uh, well, not necessarily the second line, but your your other three components of the top six along with the top three are Lekkinen, Comfort, and Val Nichushkin. Um, so you're lacking a lot of finishers there. We've seen Nichushkin score a lot of goals, but Comfort's not a finisher. Well, and look how many opportunities Comfort had tonight. Yeah. Three I can think yeah. of right, right off the top of my head that, you know, who knows if Andre Burakovsky in that same situation buries it, but, I mean, you don't like the, the result or from Comfort. Or Nazem Kadri, yeah, and, and, and Lekkinen as well. Lekkinen scores big goals. He's a great player, but he's not necessarily known as being a finisher. Burakovsky and Kadri are finishers, and that's the biggest thing is you're, you're missing two guys that can put the puck in the net when you need it to be put there. So um, that's that's you know the biggest issue there. Obviously, the Tampa Bay side, Braden Point was removed from the lineup today after playing the first two games. Um, Nikita Kucherov, they were saying that he's you know they don't have an update on him yet because he left the game late. I know you saw him walking afterward; he looked fine. I'll just say this: I saw a lot of players <laughs> leaving the game, and they uh, pretty much every player that played tonight walked past me on their way out of the building. And there's a handful of guys on both teams. I'm not going to name names. But a handful of guys on both teams have a, had a much harder time walking out of the building than Nikita Kucherov did. Yeah, um, I can believe that. But then again, Kucherov, if it's a knee thing, well, it might not be as hard to walk. But if you skate and have physical impact, then it's another issue. But, um, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, Nick Paul as well, he said it kind of like hit him. It was like a funny bone situation. So he was able to leave and come back twice and obviously scored the first time he came back. Um so we'll see what happens with them and, you know, Braden Point and if they are missing anybody else. A funny bone in the leg, right, is kind of what he was saying. Yeah. Because I saw um, – I, I was at his post-game scrum, and underneath his suit he had a knee brace. And, of course, he was limping when he got back on the ice and scored that goal and was looked like he was on one leg. So it's, And he left again after scoring the goal and then came back again. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't know there was a funny bone in the leg, but must have been something in there. I don't know. He's None of us are doctors here. He probably doesn't know the anatomy of his own body. He's just trying to screw with us. He's like, those idiots actually believe that it was a funny bone thing. <laughs> of the eight goals we saw scored tonight, three of which were on the power play, both of the avalanche goals on the power play, um, I guess is that alarming at all that the five-on-five the five play just didn't seem to be there tonight? So the it's not necessarily alarming from the avalanche side. Granted, I will say that Val Nichushkin scored at 5-on-5, five five, but the puck was offside by a smidge, so Tampa Bay wasn't perfect at 5-on-5. Five five. But what is alarming is how well Tampa Bay plays at home when they have the last chance, especially at even strength. Because 
This is the most glaring thing for me. So Tom Galitti of the NHL tweeted this after the game. The Lightning have not allowed a five-on-five goal at home since game six of the first round against Toronto. So we're talking two home games versus the Panthers, two home games versus the Panthers, three versus the Rangers, one versus the Avalanche. Six consecutive games, they have not allowed a goal at five-on-five at home. That is a little bit more alarming than the Avalanche's side. So the Avalanche know they're going to have their work cut out for them. The last five-on-five goal that they allowed at home was scored by John Tavares late in the second period of Game 6, and that was a game where Tavares made it 3-2 to two by scoring five-on-five, and then Tampa Bay Lightning came back and scored twice and forced the Game 7 and won Game 7. So um, it's been a while. But the Avs are also one of the better five-on-five teams this season. We've seen them, you know, the success of the Avalanche this year has been their five-on-five. Their power play was up and down all year. Their PK was up and down all year, but their five-on-five play was their best. So they'll need a big bounce back there in uh, game four. And um, I think it ultimately comes down to making sure that, you know, you're not running into issues like today where every chance you had was blocked and and you're kind of gripping the stick a little too tight. I don't know. It just... The Avalanche's cycle today didn't look like it did the last, I don't even want to say the last two games at Ball Arena. I'm going to say literally the entire playoffs. I feel like the Avalanche, and I saw them doing this a lot at morning skate, but tonight in the game, I felt like they were trying a little bit too hard to look for that backdoor tap-in pass, yeah. and rather than just getting pucks on the net. I yeah, mean, you look at Nathan that. McKinnon, he hasn't scored in a while. He got six shots on goal, but um, I feel like him more than anybody is looking for that extra pass, that extra, you know, catch Vasilevsky off guard, cross the Royal Road with the puck, and try to get an easy tap in. And and I don't think it was, you know, a good play tonight. Despite they, they still got a ton of shots on net, a lot of shot attempts, but I don't think they were threatening enough, right? It was about the third period. The Avalanche had 31 shots, and I looked at you, and I'm like, 31 shots? It doesn't feel like they've had that many because they're not getting much dangerous chances to the net here. So um, I don't know. I guess I'd like them to get a, li- a little bit away from the Q extra pass, right? And just just get pucks on net. Let's go for more volume here. Yeah, especially... So in the first period, I felt like they did make, have quite a few good opportunities. I mean, Vasilevsky made some big saves tonight, so I don't want to take away from his game, but I, I kind of feel the same way. Like, once it got to the second period, when the Tampa Bay Lightning took a 3-1 to lead and Landis Gog fought back and then they took a 4-2 to lead, even when, t- as silly as it sounds, even when the Lightning made it 4-2, to I still didn't feel like the game was lost. But it was shortly after the 4-2 to goal that you really started to see the Avalanche just struggle to get any offensive, uh, like any any pressure in the offensive zone and any golden opportunities. And then you saw the puck going the other way often and, you know, time and time again and leading to temp eight chances that before they even made it 5-2, to I felt like the Avalanche were kind of reeling and, and they did. It was 5-2 and then it was 6-2 before you knew it. So um, it's... It was a strange game in that sense, and I think if they just get more volume, they'll do a much better chance. Yeah, I mean, it was that 3-2 moment where you're like, all right, I think uh, the Avalanche might have a chance here, but that's when I feel like the goaltending, that's when uh, it played its role and maybe kind of lost the game for us, for, for the uh, Avalanche for a second there in that brief little window where Darcy Kemper maybe just uh, had, a, had a lapse, I guess, mental lapse, but... Uh, the, They'll recover, I'm sure of it. But before we get into the goaltending conversation here, Arif, i got to tell everybody about our friends over at Superbook Sports. Summer is here, and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every 
football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call one 800 4700. Yeah, let's get into the goaltending conversation. I know a lot of people out there in Avalanche land were throwing uh, a little bit of a fit at Darcy Kemper tonight, right? And I I think rightfully so. I don't think he's been at the top of his game in, uh, I I think, maybe since the eye injury, right? I don't think he's been himself since then. I think that's fair. He's he's had some good, some good, you know, like... Adequate. Yeah, no, he's had some good, like, parts of game since then and made right. some big saves but the Darcy Kemper that was dominant in January February March April and and you know went to the first few games of Nashville just hasn't been the same since then and I'm not here to be a Darcy Kemper apologist right I mean I have no connection to him I I don't care either way but what I do know and this is something I've told our listeners before and and it's something I've been drilling into listeners of my podcast for several seasons now is it takes six players to play goaltender. You can't just have your goaltender out there by himself against the opponents and and expect him to ha- to do big things and it it's a commitment across the board, right? I mean that's why you hear Colorado saying play to their identity. That's why you hear Tampa Bay about their recipe to win. That all has to do with defensive structure and defensive commitment, and I just didn't see it there tonight. And so, you know, I think Darcy Kemper can absolutely play a better game, and, you know, I'd go as far as saying he was bad tonight, but he wasn't the problem. The Avalanche were the problem as a whole, and and I love when Jared Bednar says this because he says this time and he said this time and time again this season whenever there was any question marks about the the goaltending where he would say that, we win as a team, we lose as a team. And it's kind of something that we often do as, as hockey fans because the reality is, like, you know, we've all heard the saying, I think it's Elaine Vigneault that says that if you have goaltending, it's only 50% of your team. But if you don't have it, that's 90% of your team. To basically say if you don't have goaltending, you have a lot more issues than a team with a good goaltender. So um, a goalie can lose you a series, but he won't always win you a series or a game is basically the idea behind that saying. But... I kind of like the way Jared Bednar goes about it, where, like, we often like to separate the goaltender from the team. Like, oh, the Avalanche were outstanding today if they could just get a couple of saves. It's like, well, the goaltender is part of their team. Making saves is a goaltender's job, but it's also a team effort. It's making sure that you limit the amount of good looks that other teams get on your goaltender. It's making sure that you limit the amount of rebounds that other teams get on your goaltender if the goaltender gives up a rebound. So there's a lot that goes into a goalie's save percentage and a goalie's performance that comes from the team. So when Jared Bender was asked about uh, Kemper today, he said he didn't have a good night, you know. However, neither did our team. We win as a team. We lose as a team. Group him in with everybody else. Wasn't as good as we needed to be. Yeah, we talked about the 27 blocks from the Tampa Bay side, only 12 from the Avalanche, so quite a discrepancy there. But, yeah, Jared Bednar's committed to Darcy Kemper, right? Every yeah. time he has a rough game, he gets asked about what he's going to do next. He's like, look, Darcy Kemper was brought in here to be the number one guy, and he's going to keep doing that until the wheels fall off, right? So I don't think there's any question that Darcy Kemper will be going for game four and I think you also got to look at the top guys' words, right? I, I know Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon, they have to come out and be, you know, cordial and say the right thing. But I also could tell that there was genuine truth to what they were saying today. And, and 
shaking off the, the premise that it was Darcy Kemper's fault tonight. Look, this is something that I think that people aren't realizing. And and by people, I'm going to say more national media that haven't been around the Avalanche since the first game of the National Series is, um, and that's not a shot at them, but the reality is, yes, Kemper has eight wins and Frankie has six. Yes, Kemper won six and Frankie won six in the first 12 wins heading into the Stanley Cup final. But not once did Jared Bednar voluntarily go with Fransuz over Kemper, except for game four of the Edmonton series, where Frankie had already won the first three games, so it would be silly not to turn to him in game four. Every single time Kemper was healthy, he was the goalie. When Fransuz was playing, it was because Kemper was was injured. It's not like Kemper lost game, I don't know, let's say game two against the Blues, and then Bednar had to sit there and be like, do I go with Kemper or Fransuz? It's been Kemper the entire playoffs, and people are always asking in the postgame availabilities about Bednar's trust in Kemper as if on a night where the Avalanche played like ass from top to bottom that it was Kemper's fault. This wasn't a game where the Avalanche were lights out, scored six goals, and their goalie let in seven goals on 18 shots. This was a game where the Avalanche were outplayed in every facet of the game, including goaltending. And I think what Gabe Landeskog said was my favorite part. He said, look, we all had a bad night. So did he. It's okay for him to have a bad night too. So we, we need to stop lumping the lumping the two or separating the two and rather lumping them together because tonight wasn't a night where the goalie lost them a game. The night, tonight was a night where the avalanche sucked, and that includes their goalie. And then looking across at the other crease, Andre Vasilevsky, 37 saves on 39 shots. I think uh, coming into this series, everyone was expecting Andre Vasilevsky to have a Vasilevsky-esque game, right, and have a game where he just steals it. But I still don't think that was that tonight. That wasn't it. No. That was not tonight. I, he's still not playing to the Vasilevsky level that we've seen. I still see him being leaky. You still see the avalanche picking apart his blocker side, right? Yep. Um, so I think there's hopefully not another level to his game in this series, but I, I think – you can't get discouraged about who's in net on the other side anymore because he obviously seems to have some flaws. Look, the reality is you scored seven goals on him, you scored four goals on him, and now you scored two. So you've put 13 goals on a goaltender that you know probably shouldn't even be letting in 13 goals in an entire series, let alone the first three games and losing two of them. So that the reality is the Avalanche do have something figured out right now with his blocker side. It's been an issue that he's had all season, not just in the playoffs and not just in the series. But uh, after game two, after the 7 nothing victory, one of the media members actually asked Josh Manson about that and said, have you guys scouted out, you know, high blocker side on, on uh, Vasilevsky as where to shoot? And Manson kind of shrugged it off and, you know, kind of like, you know, we take the looks where we can and we just put the puck where we can. And as Manson was walking out of this media scrum, there's an NHL PR person that leads him back to the locker room. Well, Manson walks away from 25 cameras and cell phones and tape recorders in his face, walks around the corner with the media guy and kind of jokingly says, but you know there's truth to it. The guy was just speaking about the media guy that asked him the question. He kind of jokingly says, the guy was trying to get me to share my scouting report live on on my, my post-game availability. Basically to say, yes, the Avalanche have figured out that – High blocker side on Vasilevsky is the place to shoot. And me sharing that little tidbit of, of what Manson said isn't going to change the fact that the entire NHL has been scouting Vasilevsky all season and shooting high blocker on him because he's been struggling with that all year. And the Avalanche know that too. 
We talk about Andre Burakovsky being kind of a, a streaky player, right? Ups and downs. It seems that Josh Manson kind of has that same trait to him, right? Last game, he had a beautiful oh game, gosh, yeah. big time, and then tonight he, he had the lapses. And I look at that moment behind the net with Corey Perry, right? Manson lays the hit, and then Maroon gets in Manson's face. And I think, I don't know, I feel like that was the moment where the momentum shifted. You see Pat Maroon kind of doing his Pat Maroon thing and, and sticking up for his team. And then he takes a penalty there, I'm pretty sure. Comes out of the box, then ends up scoring, right? So Pat Maroon kind of changing that momentum by doing, uh, I guess, kind of old school tactics and, and riling up the boys with physicality. I know I'm not supposed to say this because Avalanche fans don't want to hear this right now. But man, what a delight that guy is. I've always loved Patrick, Pat, Pat Maroon's game. He's literally the kind of player that any team would love to have. And he comes to Tampa Bay after winning a cup in St. Louis, uh, signs a cheap deal, and then signs another cheap deal for two years. Like, he just loves to be here making, you know, bare minimum, minimum wage league in the NHL standards of, like, 700K to 1 million a year. And 90% of that's going to escrow. And he's just having a good time and doing his thing. Like, he's so incredible at his role. But um, Yeah, I mean, you look at the goal he scored, and it's just yeah. exactly who he is, right? Yeah. Takes it hard to the net. Wasn't exactly Takes intentional. Milk bag body <laughs> right. right to the net. Just throws um, the puck somewhere and it happened to, to flop in. That St. Louis Blues fan, Tony X, he tweeted something like, he's chubby, but he's effective or something <laughs> like that after his goal. I'm like, yep, that's Pat Maroon for you. But um, in terms of Josh Manson, like, yeah, he's it's it's so crazy how hot and cold he can be in terms of like being a factor in the game either positively or negatively like game one against the Edmonton Oilers he was a minus four he's just a freaking brutal game and then had an incredible ending to the series against the Oilers and then we saw the same thing here and then I guess with that you know how we brought up the physicality there from Pat Maroon it really felt like you know the hatred is starting to brew up a little bit something I think that was lacking in the first two games you definitely saw it there in the third period I mean Andrew Cogliano was living in the penalty box during the second half of the game there throwing punches sending a message do you like the physicality picking up here do you think it's just something that avalanche were doing for one night and probably put it behind them next game i mean it's gonna happen regardless because the intensity ramps up every series and i know we talked a couple nights ago and i was saying that you know this just hasn't been a part of their dna the entire playoffs and that's true but this will happen in the stanley cup final the intensity ramps up the Avs could win the series in five or they can lose it in six or it can go to seven games regardless of where it goes or they can also win it in six. I guess that's the only other <laughs> option available regardless of which way it goes. There's going to be at least two more games played and up to at least four games played. And uh, the reality is it's it's going to be intense. And, you know, I don't think the avalanche partaking in that is a sign of them getting away from their game. I think it's just a sign of the series ramping up. And and the reality is, yes, they were down six two. They were pissed off. That's what happens. But if that continues in other games, it's not something that they need to get away from. It's just something that they need to not let overshadow their game. Right. I mean, Tampa Bay has agitators, and they were just agitating. And they do a damn good job at that, yep. Exactly. I mean, for Logan O'Connor to get into a fight, you know, we do, we remember earlier this season when he got into his first fight ever, right? So now that he's already into his second, you know, something got under his skin. And um, no, I'm okay with it. If there's any night to do it, it's a night like that. And uh, again, the fourth line for the Avalanche is up against a pretty pesky line for, for Tampa Bay, so it's going to happen naturally. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I like it even. I think it's something, you know, Andrew Cagliano knows what he's doing. He's a veteran. He's been around. He knows yeah. that by stirring up the pot a little bit, he's going to get the boys behind him and, uh, 
you know, have have more backing and camaraderie. Heck of a hat trick there for Cogliano, three minor penalties. Yeah, it's got to be some sort of hat, hat yeah. trick. <laughs> and I love the fact that this is a guy with a ring finger surgery, surgically repaired ring finger injury that he suffered in in the Edmonton series and is out there throwing punches. Like, what a guy. There has to be a name for that, right? I mean, you've got the Gordy Howe hat trick. There has to be somebody that they've named three penalties in the game yeah. after. Who's done this the most times and will take this honor? If if that hasn't been done, you know. We'll call it the Cogs. <laughs> or the, the Evander Kane hat trick, right? No, we're, we're, we're taking <laughs> ideas. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts for uh, who the hat trick penalty penalty hat trick should be named after. Um, the last thing I really wanted to touch on, and I know I've been hammering this to the ground since the playoffs started, but once again, I'm just so shocked by the mindset and the energy coming out of guys like Nathan McKinnon, Nico Rantanen, just so positive and just a completely different person than we've ever seen in the past. Again, I know this is not groundbreaking. We've talked about this at nauseum, um, but it, it's just it's amazing to me how different of a person and a different mindset Nathan McKinnon is, is holding with himself. It's with. so refreshing, and I'm not going to touch on McKinnon himself, but it's so refreshing to see what Landeskog, McKinnon, and Ranton have become. That this is the first season that those three guys are your official letter wearers, the captain, the A, and the A. Those are your big three, and those are the guys that are coming out talking to the media every single day. And they did today with just so much class and so much respect for themselves and for the media, just the way that they were talking. Like, there was a positivity to them. There was a positivity to Nathan McKinnon talking about how you know, we'll bounce back from this. And he was asked about his goal scoring and not a single bit of a frustrated look on his face. Zero anger. There. Zero, Zero anger in his body. Three losses in the playoffs and he hasn't shown it once. And he says, uh, you know, I just have to trust. I just have to trust that they'll go in at some point. There's no time for, du- for doubt right now. And the reality is there isn't. And he knows that. And Miko Ranton and talking about how the team can bounce back. Gabe Landisgog talking about how, hey, they just came back and bounced back. We can do the same thing. It's our turn. Yeah, Nathan McKinnon, I think he's feeling the pressure, but that's what's different about him this year is the way he's handling it. I don't think he's letting it get to him. He knows he's got to be better, and he knows he's got to score some goals, but he's uh, you know, keeping it keeping it positive. I think the most angry we've seen him all playoffs was after that nasty goal he scored in Game 5 against St. <laughs> Louis, and he slammed his stick against the wall in a, a let's-go Pos- fashion. Positive anger is a good kind of anger. Right, and that's uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty much the, the only kind of anger we've seen out of Nathan McKinnon in these playoffs. So, again, I just really – want to point that out because I think it's such a positive sign. It's it's such a great yeah. um, way for us to, I guess, feel assured that next game is going to be a completely different game. It's going to be put behind them, short memory, moving on. Yeah, short memory, moving on. And, you know, look, man, in the end, the series isn't won yet. They might win it. They might lose it. If they lose it, it'll suck. But the reality is, win or lose, this is an avalanche team that we all expect and Nathan McKinnon expects to do this many, many more times. The Avalanche might win this series in five and win three of the next six years after this year. Like, so much could happen, and Nathan McKinnon is going to be a big part of that. You can't have him in his first Stanley Cup final just folding under pressure. Building those calluses, right? I mean, you got to do All it. those painful losses in years past are for a reason. I know that they sting while they're happening, but like you said, if you look back at Nathan McKinnon's career and said, yeah, they ended up getting to multiple Stanley Cup finals, and they even won a few of them, uh, I think. All Avs fans can be pretty happy about that result. Absolutely. And and when you have guys like that leading the charge, guys like him, Gabe, and Miko, uh, you're in good hands. 
Indeed, indeed. Well, that's everything I wanted to get um, into the podcast from tonight's game. Anything else you want to throw out there? Any thoughts, maybe any uh, predictions for what you think is going to change in game four here? Um, not going to go anywhere with the prediction route yet. I kind of want to see what happens with the rosters, and we'll have plenty of time in the next couple of days to see what uh, what goes on. Uh, I will say tomorrow, as in when you guys are all listening to this on Tuesday, will be the official announcement of the last five awards, and hopefully I can get this. It's the Hart, the Ted Lindsay, the Vezina, the Norris, and I'm missing one, of course. Jack Adams? No. no that's already done. Uh, I, it might just be those four. I'm pretty sure there's a fifth one. But regardless, the one that's important from that conversation is the Norris Trophy, Kale McCarr, Roman Yossi, Victor Hedman. Those are your three finalists. Um, it feels like forever ago, not even the series, like the playoff series, but the regular season forever ago when we were talking about Kel McCarvish, Roman Yossi in terms of the Norris Trophy. Well, we find that out tomorrow. Uh, so I'm excited for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, other than that, closing thoughts are Tampa Bay has been great. It's humid, but it's beautiful. Uh, JJ and I have been scootering our way through the city. Uh, wearing our suits and our and our credential badges, running into Joe Sackett coming out of whatever the hell workout he was into, laughing at us because we're using scooters and not walking like regular people. Just fun time in Tampa Bay, and hopefully Game 4 goes better for the Fs. Indeed, tomorrow's our off day, so we'll see what kind of fun we can stir up. But also wanted to take a quick second to uh, comment on the Avalanche fans in Amelie Arena, right? A There's lot of them. A lot of them. I don't know how many of them are, are locals and just live here and are just Avalanche fans and how many traveled, but I was pretty impressed at the amount of uh, <laughs> burgundy I was seeing tonight in the, in the building. There was, there was quite a few on my flight. Um, the guy sitting directly beside me was wearing an Avs jersey, and his son was sitting to my right on the other side of the airplane. And at the end of the game, the kid looks over to his dad and goes, Hey, Dad, uh, Andre didn't travel with the team. And he goes, what? Are you kidding? And then, like, I kind of pitched in and said, like, yeah, you know, he's supposed to meet the team there and whatever. And, you know, we talked about a little bit of hockey. I didn't tell him who I was or anything. We just kind of talked about hockey. But there was a few people behind us that kind of, like, joined in on the conversation. And then, like, up up closer to the, to the front of the airplane because I was saying, wait, the hell in the back. Um, there was a lot of other people wearing avalanche gear. So it looked like even on my flight alone – there had to be at least 10 to 12 Avs fans, along with the fact that there was like seven or eight other media members. So a lot of people are traveling from Denver to Tampa, and you got to love it. Yeah, I mean, it turns out it's cheaper to, to fly all the way out to Tampa than to catch a game <laughs> in Ball Arena, right? Yep. We saw this morning, ticket prices were dropping here in Tampa They were Bay. under $200 to get into the arena this And morning. they were taking like $10 price drops. It's, yeah. It's like the real estate market, but in ticket form. Um, <laughs> it's a... Uh, Let's wrap it up here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us here. Post-game edition from Tampa Bay. A lot of fun doing things uh, on the road. And, uh, yeah, we do them for you. So I hope you guys appreciate So thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. We'll be back for game four. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you. Oh.